Welcome back, everyone. Uh, thank you all for tuning in again to listen to the City Lights Morning Podcast. Today's going to be a little bit of a special episode as Victor has a wedding and he unfortunately can't be with us today. But fortunately, we have a brother, Alex, with us. Alex, why don't you int- introduce yourself a little bit? Hey, um, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, you guys all know me for the most part. Alex Karolchik. Um, Victor, he actually just recently let me know and asked me if I wanted to be a part of this. And I said yes. And uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um it's a tremendous opportunity to be able to be able to just talk, you know, and, and not talk about just anything, but to talk about God, to talk about his word. And I hope that this ep- episode will be edifying both to both of us as well as everyone else who will be listening. So, yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Right, so in classic Slavic fashion, I only asked him about a few hours ago uh, to come and join me here. (laughs) But something that I really wanted to talk about, Alex, and I'm sure I kind of shared this with you before, and that's that's about your sermon on Monday. For those of you guys who maybe weren't on youth or anything like that, Alex uh, concluded the service, uh, Monday youth service, um, with a really great message, and I think it's really practical. And I just have some questions for you to hopefully maybe get a little bit deeper into exactly what you wanted to say with that sermon. But before that, could you just maybe give a brief summary about kind of, you know, not to preach the whole sermon again, but just just, just to fill in our listeners, you know, who maybe don't remember or weren't at youth. Yeah, so the title of my message that I preached was called The Walk of a Christian. And uh, I wanted to emphasize the word walk because... In the Bible, uh, the word walk is used as a biblical metaphor for someone's daily life. And pretty much the emphasis and the point that I wanted to hammer home was to give us a, a biblical view of what the walk or the daily life of a Christian should look like and how um, that should come about in somebody's life who has believed in, in Christ and who is a Christian. So that's kind of just the outline of course we went into the bible we dug into the word of god to kind of give us a definition of what the the walk of a christian should look like but pretty much the emphasis as well that i wanted to kind of hammer home was that the walk of a christian should look different than the walk of an unbeliever and the life of a Christian should look different than the life that you lived before you're a Christian. And the question that I wanted to first and foremost ask myself, as well as to everyone else who is listening, is is there a difference between us and the world? Have you seen this difference? Have you seen, based on what we read, these things taking place in your life? What we read pretty much talking about what it means, what it looks like to be a Christian in everyday life. So, Yeah, and we'll, we'll really get into kind of the depth of your message in just a second. But before we do that, I just wanted to ask you, what place in your life or like where did this message come from? Obviously, it came from the Lord, right? But what, what were the circumstances in your life that, you know, God revealed this message to you and and you and you took that revelation you studied and you actually formed a sermon out of it like where did this come from out of what circumstances 
Yeah, so it was a little bit of a mix. It was both personal as well as things that I read that I was inspired by. Um, and this term of daily walk, the walk of a Christian, was something that I, first of all, examined and looked at in my own life. Um, not up until the point where it came down for me to... I had to preach and I had to figure out a topic and so therefore I came up or wanted to talk about the walk of a Christian but the walk of a Christian was something that was on my mind already for a long time and both like I said it was both personal as well as being inspired by a certain book that I read um, and I'll kind of get into a little bit of both um, for me personally back when I was still let's say in immature Christian, not yet fully having an understanding of what it even means to be a Christian. Um, I was kind of questioning in my own life whether I was a Christian, you know, and based on both this book and just asking myself certain questions, it's like, what is a Christian even supposed to look like? Those were, that was a question that I was asking. And what is a Christian supposed to look like? And the other question was, after answering that first one, do I look like that? And it was a, it was both a, a self-examination as well as, um, like I said, a book that I was inspired by. The book is called The Believer's Walk with Christ by John MacArthur. And he kind of pretty much emphasized and exposited nine different texts in the Bible of what the walk of a Christian is supposed to look like. And he also exposited the verse that I went over in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, where Apostle Paul says to the Ephesian church, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling of which you have been called. And to kind of go a little bit more into what my message was about was pretty much what is a walk. So we define that as well as what does it mean to walk worthy and what is the calling of which we have been called. Pretty much saying that the calling of which we have been called is a call from darkness out of, a call from darkness into light, um, talking about our salvation. And, and so therefore, if we have been called out of darkness into light, if God has truly saved us, if we have believed in Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior, then what should our walk, what should our daily life look like? And so to kind of go back to the what inspired me to talk about that, it was more a question for myself of what does my walk look like as well as just looking at the Bible and see what it said and seeing what it says concerning the daily life of a Christian. Yeah, and that's like a really important um aspect of our Christian lives, you know, is that point of self-reflection. And I know we've talked about it before on this podcast and how truly important that is. So was there a moment in your life where you saw like that you needed to, you know, change yourself or not, I guess, change yourself, but you needed change, that change that comes from above? Um, yes, hundred percent. Um, and I'll get a little bit personal here, but there was a point in my life where I wasn't happy. Not that life is all about being happy, but there was a sense of unfulfillment 
there was a sense of lack of joy, lack of purpose, lack of meaning in pretty much anything. And uh, you could pretty much say that I was like very, very just low and depressed. And I thank God at the end of the day for that point in my life because that's exactly what led me to repent. It, it led me to give my life back to God because in that sense of feeling very depressed and a lack of joy, a lack of fulfillment, a lack of purpose, I was very backslidden. And to where when I looked at my life, I could say that the walk that I was walking was not the walk of a Christian. It wasn't a walk that walked in victory and walked in joy and walked in peace. All these things that God gives, I looked at my life and said that I don't have these things. And so that was by the grace of God that he was able to open my eyes to that. And then that led and caused me to repent. So I thank the Lord for that. And I'll tell you what, it's not easy walking as a Christian. But at the same time, looking back from the time, from that time in my life to now, I could say that the reason why I am here today now is because of his grace. So praise God for that. Praise God, absolutely. And, you know, like you, you were mentioning how you were in a place like where you were backslidden. So that just really stuck out to me, you know, just because personally, like I grew up in a Christian home, you know, I had, I'm super grateful for my parents. They raised me in a church. They led me to the Lord really in every single way that they possibly could. They encouraged me to seek after him. And ultimately I, I did find him, you know, as at a young age, I accepted Christ. But I guess you could say almost the downside of that is it got, old for me being a, like a young Christian very quickly and growing up growing up in that I wasn't for, rooted firmly in my faith and I wasn't like like too interested in all of this you know like it's just something we did you know yeah you go to church on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings and Friday sometimes you know just sing, sing in the kids choir or, or whatever and it really took that same kind of revelation you know like you mentioned how it was by the grace of God and I and I hundred percent agree with you. You know, it's not your how you're raised up, but it's it's that revelation to each and every single person individually. But a, like a problem that I I even faced in my life is like that I almost got desensitized to these words and the things all around me. You know, give your life to Christ and uh, even walk in the Christian life. You know, actually like what that meant. Like yeah, I could probably give you some answer that I learned in Sunday school or whatever. I could put two and two verses together and you know it might sound like I know what I'm talking about, but that is a, that's as far as my knowledge went. I wasn't actually living that life and I wasn't actually like believing it in my heart, you know, but it took a place like that, you know, it took a, a revelation of God to like, for me to be able to understand what those things truly meant. And I feel like a lot of preachers, but also just Christians in general fall victim to like, you know, I've said it before that this Christianese language, yeah, things that they learned, the same things that they've heard from the pulpit or heard from other sermons and stuff, where they they're good things and they sound well. You know, they tickle the ears, but what do they actually mean? And what do they actually mean for us? And I think that's where I wanted to go. And you know, you you mentioned in your sermon you defined what it meant to walk, walk as a Christian and walk in general. And I think you compared, you just said that that's our daily life, you know, our day to day, yeah. right? If I'm not wrong. 
could you could you elaborate a little bit for a little bit more on that you know i mean i know that's it's a term used in the bible but could you just you know almost describe it again what does it mean to walk yeah so i defined it and it is defined uh the word walk in the bible is a biblical metaphor which i already mentioned before but it's pretty much used to describe our pattern of life our daily conduct um pretty much what does your life look like on a day-to-day on a day-to-day basis and our daily life uh our walk could be seen in for example our conduct you know the way that we act our speech you know how how we talk the things that we talk about um and those are probably i would say the two most important um how we act and how we talk but it also trickles down into an, a bunch of other things in our daily life and pretty much everything in our daily life you know to questions of you know how how do i work you know how do i how do i act towards other people you know what is my attitude toward what is my approach to life pretty much um and the question in terms of the walk of a christian is that the bible gives certain metaphors to what a christian actually is and i have my notes here i pretty much gave a few examples of how the bible defines what it means to be a christian what has pretty much transpired in the life of someone who has believed in jesus christ and it's a pretty radical transformation that undergoes in someone's life who has believed and to kind of read over my notes a little bit the transformation goes a little bit something like this um, from someone who has been in darkness to someone who is in the now in the light someone who is dead and to now who someone to now someone who is alive uh, someone who is ignorant to now someone who knows the truth uh, someone who was a stranger and a child of wrath to someone who now is a son or daughter of God uh, someone who hated God and was disobedient to him and ha- now have the law of God written on your heart. And one thing that I wanted to emphasize, um, just talking about the walk of a Christian, is that the way that we walked before we were Christian, the way that we walked before we believed in Jesus Christ, was a walk that was on the way to hell. And to someone who has believed, to someone who has been saved, the walk in which we now walk is on the way to heaven. And so pretty much coming back to the questions about what does our walk actually look like and how is our walk necessarily described, you know, describing it as our daily life, you know, the way that we act, the way that we talk, um, how we how we treat each other, um, is the way that we act, is the way that we live our lives, is the way that we approach things in a way that, is in light of eternity is it in light of can it be described as a walk that is on our way to heaven or do do the way that we live our lives look like they're on their way to hell and now that's i would say pretty that's a pretty it's a very deep thing to think about but at the end of the day i would say that it's very necessary just based on the way that just based off the fact that it's important to self-examine and 
to understand and to know where you're going. And to someone who is saved, the way that you're going, where you're going when you die, is to heaven. And so the question of what is our life supposed to look like now while we're still not in heaven, is it balanced with the fact that we now have an inheritance with heaven? Is the way that we live and we walk in joy, understanding that we are children of God? Um, or do we kind of just live our lives however we want? Um, another thing that I mentioned when it comes down to the transformation that goes down in someone's life who has believed in Jesus Christ is in the final ultimate sense, it's someone who goes from worshiping and living and glorifying themselves to someone who now worships and lives, now lives to worship and to glorify the true and living God. So if God has done that in your life, then is the way that you live lived in light of the transformation, the work that God has done in your heart? So, yeah, you like mentioned a lot there. Uh, I just wanted to go back a little bit. You mentioned something about this radical change, you know, that ex uh, a true Christian would experience in their lives. What would, I guess, kind of in more practical terms, would that, does that radical change look like? Like, do you have any examples or maybe not even maybe of your life, maybe not of your life, but something more about that radical change? Like, what should that radical change look like? Could you like maybe compare and contrast them? Yeah, so... This was something that I didn't really expound on too much in the sermon, but, and I might not explain this as well as somebody who is more educated than me could explain it, but pretty much there's three, there's, there's three changes that go on in the Christian life. And one is that the beginning of salvation, when you actually get saved, um, there's three elements of sanctification. Um, there's one when you get saved. There's one while there's there's you're getting saved, you're getting sanctified. And then the third one is that you're fully sanctified. That's when we receive our glorified bodies in heaven. And so there's three, I guess, changes in the Christian life. One is when you get saved, and that's pretty much what... Apostle Paul is talking about to the Ephesians is that you know you were once dead in your trespasses and sins and now you have been made alive in Christ and so he's pretty much talking about the initial sanctification when they got saved he's saying that this is what has transpired in your life and then there's a second element to that which is I believe the term is progressive sanctification where that change is more so evident in somebody's life as they as time goes on um so so about that first stage stage that you just mentioned you know when someone gets saved what i guess not the process but like what is the actual transformation like what what makes a person different than when they, when they were before you said dead and now they're alive like what does that actually mean you know what i mean yeah yeah that's a good question i mean there's there's certain i would say basic evidences and I would I would 
I would most likely attribute the biggest transformation and what that looks like in someone's life is by their desires. Mm. You know, when someone gets saved, they no longer to they no longer desire to live for themselves, but they desire to live for God. And there are certain times where we might fall short of that, where we might sin, and that conviction is from the Holy Spirit. And that conviction is pretty much saying that why have I done why have I sinned when I'm supposed to be following and worshiping and living for God? You know, because when you're sin- when you're sinning, you're when you sin, you that's that's pretty much something that gratifies your own desires. You know, you're you you try to gratify your own desires by sinful means, but pretty much the the uh, the the one the Christian is somebody whose desires have changed. You know, and and it's evident in someone's life, especially in the in the life of a young Christian, is that when they sin or when they stumble or when they fall, they get convicted. When before they became a Christian, before they knew Christ, before they knew what Christ has done for them and how He loved them, it causes them, they, it causes their desires to change from loving themselves to now wanting to love and live for Christ. And so, that's evident in somebody's life. Of that's evident in the life of a believer, and that when they do sin that conviction comes and so that's that's one of the basic evidences um but yeah yeah that was beautifully said um how that change that takes place uh you know practically speaking what that looks like is you go from a life you know a life that you just lived for yourself a love a life that you just did whatever you you thought of a life that you just you know moved with where your heart was going or whatever you know sinning freely maybe not freely because sin sin has consequences but you were sinning and you didn't really put much thought into that but then after that moment after that revelation right and you come to your senses almost um by the grace of god it's like that that what desire that you once had for yourself a desire that you you were your own god you were the most important thing in this universe to now a state of humility before your creator before you know the lord and now your desire is not to fulfill what you want, but your desire is not to fulfill what Christ wants in your life. And, you know, and then you mentioned going into like heaven and stuff. And a lot of Christians, they see their Christian walk, you know, as as just a way to get into heaven. You know, and heaven is a promise for us. Heaven is, a, is you know, promises of God. But so a lot of people, they take that promise and they make that the focus, you know, and they're just taking it from you know their selfish desires from this life they're gonna okay they're gonna agree to give up their own desires for a, a period of time but when they get to the heaven now you know they're not going to be in, in hell and what do you think about that um to somebody who looks at christianity and says for example just i'll kind of try to paint a paint a picture here but to someone who says you know, oh, you know, Christianity, if all I have to do is believe in Jesus and then I can go to heaven, then I'm down for Christianity, you know. I'm down for Jesus. But what those people, I would say, don't really understand is that when you actually believe in Jesus, when you truly put your faith in Him, that causes 
that person to change um that and we've we've already discussed it that causes a transformation to happen in the life who has truly believed and so for people who kind of approach christianity with this kind of just ticket to heaven attitude i would question whether that person is truly truly understands or truly understands what christianity is all about because you know in heaven in 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 what the bible talks about heaven is that it's going to be a place where we're worshiping god and that's pretty much what christianity is all about you know the transformation in the final ultimate sense is someone who goes from living and worshiping themselves to living and worshiping god so to so christianity isn't just about going to heaven where you know everything is going to be okay and there's going to be these golden streets and angels flying around which to, which is true also but the final ultimate sense the final the the purpose of heaven is that it's going to be a place where we're worshiping god so it's not necessarily you going to heaven is not necessarily about you at all yeah. it's going it's about worshiping god it's about glorifying god and that's pretty much what i would what i would say to those people who kind of approach christianity with this sort of you know take it to heaven attitude of oh i'll i'll believe in jesus just so that i can go to heaven but that in itself i would say is selfish because mm. in the midst of that you're just thinking about yourself you're thinking about oh what's in it for me you know if i believe in jesus then you know i get to go to heaven and so of course i'll believe in jesus when in reality it's not about you at all you know christianity true christianity is a call to die to yourself it's a call to die to your desires you know uh, by the grace of God, um, we inherit heaven. He He makes us His sons. You know, He washes away our sin. He forgives us. He forgives us of our sin, but He forgives our sin in order so that we would be restored to our initial purpose of glorifying Him. It just so happens that sin is a means to achieve. Where was I going with this? <laughs> but, yeah, it'll come back to me. <laughs> yeah, that was really, really well said. You know, I feel like just everything else that you say, you can tell that you really spent a lot of time and thought and, and preparation in this. And I think that's, that's, you know, a lot of that is missing in our daily lives, you know. Because to, to a Christian, you know, your life that you lived before and everything that entailed you entailed you know even the things like your dreams and like you already mentioned your desires like those things are all put away you know you you give them up you literally like just give it up because it's it's no longer yours and people like to say the day i got saved you know is is the day i lost my life and and i found christ's because that's that's the kind of mindset that we ought to have as christians is that the life that we're living right now is is not our own at all like yeah. we gave it up you know giving it all up to christ when we got saved and when we accepted salvation that's we it's that willingness to you know tell god like okay god i'm done with my my stuff i'm done with myself 
and I and I want what you want in my life. And like you mentioned about heaven and about, you know, glorifying God. We do that here too. You know, it's just in a different form and it's a different body. I think once we get to heaven, nobody really knows what it's going to be like, but we're going to be in, you know, our glorified bodies and, you know, so we can worship God there. But I mean, who says we can't worship him here with our entire lives? And like, you know, that, that goes into a question about like what worship is. And maybe that's another topic for a different uh, podcast. But in, in the gist of it, it's, just, it's like what we were saying, like true worship is, is laying down your life and being obedient to the calling that God has for you. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And and we and we talked about that. Um you mentioned uh if we're going to be worshiping God in heaven, then why not do it here as well? And that is a sense and we we are supposed to do that here now. You know, when like I mentioned the the three types of sanctification is that you know, the more we become more like Christ, the more God sets us apart for him. It is, in a sense, the more we worship Him with our lives, um, and so the the worship that we give Him here is not perfect. Um, it's a process in which God sets us apart for His own glory. You know, it's a it's it's a process in which God sets us apart to mo- to look more like Him. And you also mentioned what is nece- what does worship necessarily look like. Um, I forget where Jesus says it, but that that the true worshipers are going to worship in spirit and truth. John chapter four to the Samaritan woman. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. So that that worship in spirit and truth, and I'll just expound a little bit more on truth. Like to worship Him in truth is to worship Him with a greater understanding of who He is. You know. The truth is filling your mind with who he is and having that truth in your mind that causes the believer to worship in a greater intimacy, understanding the the God that he is worshiping. Because with a greater knowledge of who he is causes us to worship him with greater reverence and fear and intimacy. So Yeah. And like I said, like that's that's a deep topic where it deserves a whole podcast, if yes, not a series does. of podcasts on its own, you know. And just going back to kind of your sermon, um, you mentioned a really interesting statistic that I think you read out of a book. Um, I don't exactly remember where, but could you kind of maybe read that statistic again and explain like where you got it and and what what the point you're trying to make with it was? Yeah, so I'll pretty much before I read, I'll kind of explain a little bit of my thought process and why I mentioned it. And that the reason why I mentioned it and the reason why I wanted to add it in there was the fact that just as I kind of gave a, a little bit of background on the Ephesian church and how they were struggling and how the culture around them was kind of very honing and very influential on them and with the culture surrounding them it 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 caused them to struggle with understanding who they were in Christ it it caused them to struggle with with being able to walk differently uh being able to walk as who they were who they are um 
and I kind of mentioned the statistic to to kind of give us a little bit of a little bit of a grasp on the fact that the Christian church today is being very very influenced by the culture. It's very it doesn't it doesn't look like how it's supposed to look like um due to the fact that they've kind of given into the temptation and the culture itself, but I uh this is a statistic related to more so sexual sin and I mentioned how the the sin that the Ephesian church also struggled with was related to sexual sin which is a huge problem in today's church as well and so that's why I mentioned it because the same problems that the Ephesian church was going through is the same problems that the church today is going through but this uh this is also mostly related to men um, and the book that I was reading was also specifically toward men and he said for in today's church for many in today's church have wilted under the heat leadership magazine which is a, a Christian magazine uh, they once commissioned a poll of a thousand pastors and the pastors indicated that 12% of them had committed adultery while in the ministry one out of eight pastors and 23% and 23% had done something that they had deemed as sexually inappropriate. The researchers also surveyed a thousand Christianity Today subscribers who were not pastors and found the figure to be nearly double. And with 45% indicating that they had done something they themselves deemed as sexually inappropriate. And one in four Christian men are, are unfaithful and nearly half have behaved inappropriately. In a subsequent study, found that 57% of pastors and 64% of youth pastors struggle with pornography. And so I mentioned how when I read that, that was a pretty shocking statistic, and it still is shocking. Um, and the reason, like I said, the reason why I mentioned it was because the same struggle that the Ephesian church um, went through is is clearly seen as a big struggle in today's church. And... In light of the walk of a Christian, the topic of the whole sermon, um, that statistic that I read was kind of read to show that many Christians are not walking the walk of a Christian. Um, there's not much, there's not a lot in today's church to where you could look at the church, you could look at the individuals and be able to see that distinction based on how they walk and how they live. You know, because of these things that we seem to be struggling with, uh, these these certain sins that have so flooded into the church, um, our walks, our daily lives are not necessarily able to be clearly seen based on what the Bible says. The the walk of a Christian is supposed to look like. You know, it's not it's not seen in today's church, and so. That's a huge problem, I would say. You know, when you read the statistic, like, yeah, it was shocking to me, but in a different way, too, you know? Because, well, we, we all know, like, our past, you know, and, and the sins that we struggled in our past, and, you know, some of those are probably included in that, you know, just talking about a Christian or Christianity as a whole. 
but it shouldn't be what defines us. And I think you mentioned too that as Christians, you know, it's not like we're we're called to live perfect, but we're incapable of doing so in our in our own fleshly bodies. Yeah. So when when we do fall, it's like it's written in Proverbs that the righteous man falls seven times, and seven times it gets right back up. And now we even have like even a more potent tool, I guess you could say, if you want to phrase it that way, to where when we fall, we don't even have we have an advocate, as it's written in uh, I think First John, we have an advocate in the Holy Spirit who or who advocates for us and who like stand before the father and say, no, my blood covered his sin. But the thing is, is like, that doesn't give us an excuse to sin. That doesn't give us like, yeah, like, you know, free range. And you mentioned like, that's a, that's a huge problem and it absolutely is. But I I don't want to ask you how to solve that problem because like, (laughs) I mean, it's, it's tough. It, It really is. But what, what would, I guess, some advice for maybe people, even listeners, who are maybe in that kind of state where they, you know, are Christians, but they are, you know, still, I guess, locked in this cycle of, say, you know, addiction to pornography or drugs or whatever, men and women alike, you know, it's, there's different sins and there's different things for the different genders, but uh, we all still struggle, or maybe for those who of us who are still struggling in sin, but who want to freedom, what would you... um advise yeah so before i kind of give some practical advice i would first of all like to say that you know we have every tool to be able to not live perfect lives but to live holy and righteous lives the the lives that we've been called to live as christians as 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 children of god you know and and it is obviously not going to be perfect and we are obviously going to sin like you mentioned we do have an advocate before the father um but there is practical steps i would say that a christian could take and somebody could take to be able to overcome a certain sin that they might be struggling with and there's a certain verse that i like and i forget where it's written but to say, but it says um, to not to give no opportunity for the flesh to fulfill its desires thereof, and so when you look at that verse practically, um, to give no opportunity, you could relate it to your own life and not to put yourself in certain situations where you might be vulnerable to sin, and so when it comes down to, for example, somebody who is struggling with pornography, a practical way that they can implement that verse into their life is to not just put is is to surround themselves with other people you know to not put themselves in a situation to where they will be vulnerable to that temptation because when you're for example in a room by yourself and that's a place where that temptation this specific temptation of, of lust and pornography is very easy to come and so a, a practical advice would be to not put yourself in situ- certain situations like I already mentioned. And certain ways that you could do that is, you know, to always to make sure that you are around people. You know, when it comes down to your phone and technology, you know, to to delete maybe certain apps that, you know, cause you to see something that might lead you to be tempted, you know, to, to maybe even put your phone away altogether but 
pretty much to limit and eliminate pretty much all situations or for example things on your phone that might cause you to get tempted by that that's really good advice but it's another thing that it's important to um to realize is that just putting something away or just like you know cutting something out of your life will not solve the problem but that needs to be in addition to you know constant prayer uh, and, and even fasting too, you know, to actually to seek and to actually want to get rid of this thing that's been plaguing you. You know, I think that's something that's really uh, a really big issue for the church is that they're still finding that their sin is pleasing to them, you know? Yeah. And like, and everything that, that that means and stuff, how like they still find like their sin worth like pursuing and, they, and they're worth like, you know, engaging in but because it's like it makes them feel good. And I think, you know, one thing that if you're in that place where you, st- where you still struggle with, you know, the pleasures of sin and how, um, you know, it could satisfy your flesh for a, for a, um, a period of time is, is to l- seek after the goodness of God and who God is. And, you know, that's only done by that time in him. And like it, it just boils down to the fact that you need to want to get rid of your sin. If you don't want to give up your sin, then like you're going to keep struggling with it. Yeah. But if you, and like you may not, and you know, that, that almost seems like it puts a lot of uh, credit to you, but that desire truly will never be gone unless like, you know, you give it up to the Lord and you like allow him to come into your life and still the devil might come in and try to tempt you with it. You know, if that's a weak spot that you have, like, you know, the devil knows that because he's, he's our adversary. He, he is like, you know, yeah seeking ways to destroy you yeah and one more thing like another piece of advice that i would give that i didn't mention before and you mentioned um how there's a constant there there needs to be constant prayer and fasting and dedicating your time to the lord and one thing that i want to mention is that in order to be able to overcome sin, you need to be willing to replace certain habits maybe that you have and replace them with exactly what you're talking about. You know, and an example is, you know, if, if you're constantly on your phone, you know, maybe you should replace that time that you're on your phone or wasting that time with, you know, reading your Bible, you know, or, or praying, you know, because when we, it's very easy when we put ourselves in those situations where we might be idle or we might not be doing much to that that will cause us to be tempted so that that's another piece of practical advice but uh yeah and just like kind of like one more thing before we kind of wrap things up is like like that's sometimes for some people it's really hard to like hold themselves accountable to that you know to like to hold themselves to whenever they are idle or whenever they are just, just scrolling on their phone to stop and put that away so like one way like that you could um you know supplement that is like have someone that you trust to talk to and to share with you know because as christians we're not called to to go through this life alone but that's the whole reason that we have the church is to bear each other's burdens so find a trusted individual whether that be a friend or a family member pastor you know any of these people like not to like for counseling or anything like that but just so you can share share your heart with them like what you're going through and to hold each other accountable because it's like and in that way 
when whenever you do fall short, you have a, a friend, you know, or, or um, a brother, you know, in Christ, or sister, if depending on who you are, uh, coming in and you, you know, putting you back on track almost. Yeah, and that that's that's important when it comes down to the walk of the Christian as well. Um, and this will this will probably be the last thing that I say, but you know, we're not in this alone. You know, you know, we're all. If we are if we are all Christians, then you know you're not the only Christian that's alive on the pl- like, and so that's important to under to to understand when it comes down to the walk of a Christian is that you're not the only one on this walk, and so for for example, if you're struggling with a certain sin, you know, it's okay, you know, to be willing to open up to somebody else who is also on the walk to share with them your struggles because like you said you know we're called to bear one another's burdens and there's not a lot of glory in it you know and i think that's what kinds of hold that's what kind of holds us back is you know we want to make ourselves look good and we want to make sure that the way that people look at us is in a way that we have everything together but in reality we don't you know in reality our walks are not perfect and in those times where we might be struggling with, for example, a certain sin or, you know, our walk isn't necessarily, our walk doesn't necessarily look like the walk of a Christian, you know, that's when it's important to be able to just share that with somebody and, you know, talk about what's on your mind and talk about the things that you're struggling with and to be able to pray and to be able to ask God for help in those times of, in those situations that we might be dealing with, so absolutely and like just make sure that person is you know well rooted in the faith maybe even a little bit more mature in the faith than you you know it's always nice to have someone like it doesn't necessarily have to be older but someone who's you know experienced a little bit more or who kind of dived in and deeper a little bit more like a mentor almost you know yep but with that being said I, I thank you all for uh listening i know this is a little bit extended version but i think you all were hopefully edified by that and thank you alex for joining us today yeah no problem thanks for having me it was a pleasure all right god bless you guys till next time yeah bye-bye